pandemic and we're still seeing record gun sales. It's estimated that 2.1 million guns were sold in January 2021 alone, based on there being an all-time record for the highest number of national instant criminal background checks requested in a one-month period since the system was created. And that record was broken again in March 2021. It is not slowing down. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And today, Julie and I are going to talk about the pandemic, guns, and death. Right, Cindy. What is going on with the huge increase in gun violence and death during the pandemic? Well, we're going to talk about that today and see if we can shed some light on it, Julie. It's been a really strange and difficult two years for a lot of people. So I think it's worth it to look into how this really terrible situation has developed. Well, we heard about the first death from COVID-19 in the United States from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, on March 1st, 2020. A United States national emergency was then declared and almost everything shut down by the middle of the month. That was a scary time. And as states released social distancing guidelines, encouraged us to wash our hands, our packages, even our food, and tried to figure out if masks would be helpful, people started stocking up on things like toilet paper, paper towels, sanitizing wipes, and guns. Yep, guns. So before we dig in, I just want to say, in case you want to look into this issue yourselves, listeners, we want you to know that we got most of the information for today's podcast from publications from the Everytown for Gun Safety Action Fund, Incorporated. So it began with fear of oncoming civil unrest and misrepresentation of the idea of rethinking the police seriously, both often fueled by, you guessed it, gun lobby propaganda. This created the feeling that people needed to protect themselves desperately. So as a result, millions of Americans bought guns. And as a result of that, We are now facing not one public health crisis in the global pandemic, but also increased risk of gun violence. Research has shown for years that access to guns increases higher risks of suicides, homicides, and unintentional shootings. In fact, access to a gun increases the risk of death by suicide by three times. Also, The suicide risk is 100 times higher immediately after buying a handgun. Deaths from COVID-19 and gun violence have been growing side by side. There were an estimated 22 million guns purchased in 2020, a 64% increase over 2019. With that, there was a 25% increase in homicides and unintentional shootings between 2019 and 2020. There are a lot of reasons for this, Record increases in gun sales came at the same time as our schools and extracurricular activities were shutting down, which meant that more guns were in the homes where children were also home from school and isolated. Yeah, with not so much to do and maybe they were hunting around and look, they found daddy's gun. 
Before the pandemic, an average of almost one child per day, age 17 or younger, some as young as toddlers or school-age children, were getting their hands on a gun and unintentionally shooting themselves or someone else. One child a day, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of children injuring or fatally wounding a sibling, a classmate, family member, friend, or, or themselves. It's horrifying. Unintentional shooting deaths by children were one third higher from March to December of 2020 than they were during that time in 2019. Studies have also found that more than half of the teenagers who live in a house with a gun know where to find it. So guns, especially in a home with children, are supposed to be stored unloaded and locked with ammunition kept in a separate place. And while millions of gun owners do follow these guidelines, more than half do not store all of their guns securely. Wow, they just can't be bothered to do that, even though that means that millions of children in the United States live in a home with an unsecured firearm, and it's not unreasonable to assume that there are even more now with the surge in gun sales. It just takes one unsecured gun. Yeah, and apparently many of the new gun purchases have been by first-time gun owners who wanted the protection but couldn't access training due to the pandemic. It's essential to have training if you're gonna have something like a gun. And the training typically includes storing and handling as well as firing the gun safely. Right, so there are all these people with guns but have no clue how to manage them. The Pediatric Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA Pediatrics, reported a study estimating that if half of the households with children that have at least one unlocked gun switched to locking all their guns, one third of child gun suicides and unintentional deaths could easily be prevented. So guns and COVID have combined in deadly ways for adults too. Tracking of mental health throughout the pandemic shows that approximately two in five US adults reported symptoms of anxiety or depression, a rate four times higher than before the pandemic. And in social isolation and financial distress, along with fear about the virus, and you get increased anxiety, loneliness, and a huge increase in substance use and abuse by so many people. These are risk factors for suicide, for people of all ages, and for increased gun violence. It makes sense that access to a gun increases the risk of a successful suicide, of course. Yeah, Julie, so about access. Weak gun laws have allowed numerous firearms to fall into the wrong hands. Many cities have seen unprecedented increases in the levels of people being shot and wounded or killed during the pandemic. That's right. And as the impact of COVID-19 and gun violence have spread across the country, vulnerable communities experience disproportionate harm. There is much more gun violence in poor communities that are often plagued by substance use and crime. For one thing, domestic violence spikes during times of emotional and financial stress. At the beginning of the pandemic, mandatory lockdowns and less availability of space and shelters, some shelters had to close, left domestic violence victims and their children trapped at home with abusers. And many abusers have easy access to guns. And we know that access to a gun makes it five times more likely that an abusive partner will kill his usually female victim. States that prohibit domestic abusers from possessing guns 
have seen a 13% reduction in intimate partner firearm homicides. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. So during the pandemic, victims and children had, and sometimes now have, little to no interaction with friends and teachers. You know, we're shut down again. Yeah. Not seeing coworkers and others who might see signs of a problem or help to report it. Right. And violence against people in the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, especially women, has increased dramatically. Police departments in the 16 largest U.S. cities reported a nearly 150% increase in hate crimes targeting Asian Americans in 2020. Yeah, and of course, nationally, Asian American women were more than twice as likely to be targeted in hate incidents as Asian American men. Easy access to guns makes all of this hate-motivated violence, violence against women and against marginalized communities, even more deadly. The pandemic seems to have magnified the very factors that contribute to gun violence. Black and Latinx communities bear the heaviest burdens. Generations of systemic racial discrimination and inequities in healthcare, housing, education, and many other factors have increased the risks of gun violence in certain communities. Unemployment surged at the beginning of the pandemic, and 9.7 million people were still unemployed in March 2021. Job loss, especially when it's not short-term, can result in eviction, foreclosure, of course, increased debt, extreme economic stressors that can contribute to a sense of hopelessness, depression, and strained relationships, all of which correspond to suicidal and homicidal behaviors. Right. Unemployment resulting from the pandemic has also contributed to the disproportionate impact of city gun violence on Black communities. To contain the virus, thousands of businesses temporarily closed, and many of them closed permanently. These layoffs disproportionately affected people in Black and Brown communities, and especially disproportionately affected women because they are overrepresented in jobs that cannot be done remotely, jobs that needed to be cut as the pandemic got worse. This kind of economic distress has a significant bearing on all forms of gun violence. Research shows that neighborhoods with high unemployment or high poverty rates have higher rates of gun homicide. Employment opportunities help serve as a protective factor from cycles of violence. Makes sense. Community-based violence intervention programs such as street outreach programs have also been shown to help decrease violence. They do. These programs work with individuals at the highest risk of shooting or being shot and help reduce violence with targeted interventions, including job readiness and workforce development programs in the communities and in hospitals. Unfortunately, these programs are often underfunded and some of the first ones to be cut. Yeah. And during the pandemic, they probably, many of them were cut. The same inequities we highlighted here have also made Black and Latinx communities more vulnerable to the negative impact of COVID-19. You know, Black people in the United States are no more likely to get COVID than white people, but are nearly twice as likely to die from it. They're also 10 times more likely to die by gun homicide. 10 times. The disproportionate impact of the pandemic and gun homicide on Black communities highlights just how persistent racial inequities are in things like healthcare, housing, education, exposure to environmental hazards, and seriously highlights the need for, desperate need for meaningful structural change and sustained financial investment 
in these really neglected, under-resourced communities. Community gun violence intervention programs can help, but they can't alone end the structural inequity that fuels gun violence. Lessons learned from this pandemic include the necessity to invest in the broader resources communities need to be safe and healthy. Long-term interventions include support for community-driven crime prevention strategies like cleaning vacant lots, greening parks, providing additional outdoor lighting, also summer youth programs, including employment programs. And in addition, Cindy, counseling and mentorship services for youth and cognitive behavioral therapy are also proven to help reduce violence. So all of these things can give us at least some hope that if they get reinstated or financially funded, maybe gun violence will be reduced. But we're still in the middle of the pandemic and we're still seeing record gun sales. It's estimated that 2.1 million guns were sold in January 2021 alone, based on there being an all-time record for the highest number of national instant criminal background checks requested in a one-month period since the system was created. and. That record was broken again in March 2021. It is not slowing down. So the surge in guns also puts a huge strain on the system of background checking and highlights some of the loopholes undermining gun safety laws and gun violence prevention. Loopholes that increase the likelihood that guns fall into the wrong hands. And some states are already implementing laws that help to strengthen gun safety. There were also several proposed changes made to legislation at the federal level, such as the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021, passed by the House of Representatives, which would require background checks on all gun sales, not just licensed sellers. Yeah, like that'll get passed through Senate. It's so aggravating to me how lawmakers and the federal government do not do more to address the problems of gun and gun violence in our country. They have the same information we do. Everything we're telling you, they already know. They know how deadly guns are. They definitely do. A study from the CDC found that a quarter of young adults ages 18 to 24 thought about suicide since the beginning of the pandemic. Not just thought about it, actually thought about doing it. The proportion of young people experiencing isolation, anxiety, and depression, just like with adults, increased greatly from the beginning of the pandemic. This has also been a time when youth have less access to teachers and school counselors. Their friends are also not as accessible and activities that tend to lower stress and offer support have been less available. Right. I mean, schools are an important place where many kids get some kind of mental health services, especially for poor students, often people of color who may not have access to medical care in other settings. There are already some proven policies that could protect everyone, of course. Strengthening our background criminal check system and promoting secure gun storage would be a start. It's also really critical to put real funds into community-based violence intervention and suicide prevention programs. Absolutely. In spite of great economic difficulty affecting cities and states due to COVID-19, there were some positive steps taken to try to relieve the burden on the people who were struggling. Rent assistance, eviction moratoriums, they were both implemented. Insurance companies increased coverage of mental health services. People didn't have to pay co-pays often. Um, They could get tested for free, et cetera. Efforts were made to improve health equity. And access to suicide prevention services were strengthened. Yet, Julie, there's still more that needs to be done. In spite of the difficult financial state cities and states are in right now. 
it's so important to make sure that gun violence prevention programs receive adequate attention and funding. Right. We see now more than ever the importance of strengthening and enforcing laws to keep guns out of the hands of abusive partners and providing support to domestic violence shelters and hotlines. States can help keep guns from domestic abusers by prohibiting abusive spouses from having guns and also by prohibiting abusive dating partners from having guns. And they can and should require abusers to relinquish the guns they already have. Right. States that prohibit gun possession for spouses and dating partners who are abusive have seen a 13% reduction in intimate partner homicide rates, as you mentioned before, and those that also require abusers to turn in guns they already own have a 16% lower intimate partner homicide rate. So you can see just from those statistics that if the person doesn't have a gun, they're much less likely to kill their partner. Especially with a gun. With a gun. (laughs) The American Rescue Plan, signed into law in March 2021, authorized $130 billion for local governments to counter the economic toll of the pandemic, which can include investment in violence intervention programs. Yeah, it's not totally clear what all that is being invested in. Yeah. And we say it over and over, we'll say it again now, we must invest in protecting marginalized communities, especially while they're being slammed even more than the rest of us, if you can imagine that, by two public health crises at once, the pandemic and the guns. While we work on the many systemic, economic, social, and structural problems that lead to inequality, we still have to do some of the things we know will protect people right now. Yes, because they're at risk right now. I absolutely agree, Cindy. If you want to learn more or get involved in some way, check out everytown.org, which is where we found the information we're bringing to you in this podcast, as Cindy mentioned. Everytown was created in 2013 by the merging of Mayors Against Illegal Guns and Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. They joined together to help fight gun violence. You can also learn a lot and get involved through marchforourlives.com, which was a movement started by the survivors of the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida on February 14th, 2018. The hope is that we learn from our experience with the perfect storm of two public health crises occurring together to create an unprecedented attack on human life. Do you think we will? Will we? I don't know. I hope so question of the day. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Until next time, take care.